when I first got to East Tennessee, I heard an expression. Uh, there's nothing fancy about it. It's easy to understand. But I heard an expression for the first time that I hadn't heard back in my dark days of being a Yankee in the Midwest. Uh, it's a phrase I heard a couple people say, and I thought, well, that makes sense, and that's pretty good. So they were describing somebody's response, somebody's reaction to, to some kind of situation. They were real excited about something. And uh, the person said, that, that kid's like a, a kid at Christmas. Or they'd see somebody and they'd go, hey, you're just like a kid at Christmas. And I'd think, oh, that's good, kid at Christmas. Because I remember what that felt like to be a kid at Christmas. To have all the heebie-jeebies of you know, going to bed, not knowing what's going to be, if, if you do your thing in the morning like some of you probably don't do, which is wrong. But the right way, which is to go to sleep and wake up not, not knowing. That was our family tradition. I remember one particular Christmas for me that was most clearly an example of those sort of heebie-jeebies that you feel. I had been anticipating Christmas for weeks. Um, Some of you have heard me talk about the Sears Wish Book. Uh, You know, when that would come, I would prepare for Christmas. I mean, like, I would be anticipating Christmas for weeks and weeks and weeks, like before Thanksgiving and before Halloween. There was this thing young people called a catalog. It would come in the mail and... (laughs) <laughs> there was this other thing called the mail. No, I'm just <clears throat> I had uh, been anticipating this particular Christmas because I had a, a sense of what my parents were going to give me. I didn't want to let the cat out of the bag and just kind of kind of say, hey, this is what I want. But I think they knew all along. And, and so I remember very vividly uh, that morning coming out of my, my hallway, my door into the hallway. And, and I kind of felt then like, like the waters were parting, like like the heavens were opening, and, and, and descending on a cloud flanked by two angels was my brand new with a banana seat Schwinn. My first bike. It was about six years old, maybe, maybe seven, and uh, we lived in Carter County uh, off of Sparks Road there across from Happy Valley Elementary on Milligan Highway. Some of you know exactly where I'm talking. And that morning, I got my first bike. And at that moment, I kind of thought, all my dreams have come true. And that's kind of the sense I had uh, about it. It was like God was revealing himself to me personally, manifesting his presence in, in this gift for me at Christmas. And it was like this holy moment for me as a six-year-old. I thought, I felt like Simeon the prophet in the temple. Lord, you can now send your servant off in peace. I can die because I've seen my bike. Even though I didn't name it at the time, even though I didn't really realize what was going on at the time, looking back, and I think this is probably your experience too, looking back on presents you've received or gifts you've received, what I realize now looking back is that my parents weren't really giving me a bike. I mean, I know that they were giving me a bike, but what they really wanted to communicate in that present for me, in that gift for me, was not, hey, Scott, we want you to be a professional cyclist. They had no dreams of, of that being the case for me. It wasn't just merely, hey, Scott, here's, here's a way to get from A to B, uh, because there's no way I was going beyond my, my driveway there. I didn't even go from A to A and a half. That's not what my parents wanted for me. What my parents wanted to communicate for me in that gift at that moment was their love for me. What they wanted to to, to give me was a sense of of joy. 
Now, I know it's just a bike, and I, I know that may sound a little bit extreme to you, but, but think about it. Think about gifts you've given, presents you've received. Now, there's a, common, a couple common elements. In, in every gift that we give or, or present that we, we receive, there's a common element that we're going to look at today, two things in particular that apply to our big idea today. The two things are this. Number one, every present and every gift that you give or receive is about something beyond the gift itself. It's always about something beyond the gift itself. Think about it. When you have a friend who maybe is in the hospital or is sick and you you take that person a little gift or a a card, you'll probably write on the card, hmm, (laughs) the reason why you're giving them the gift. You care about them. You're expressing concern through that gift. It's not about the balloons or the flowers or um, if you're coming to bring me something when I'm sick, the chocolates. Uh, It's not about... That thing itself, it's about what it expresses when we give it. Two things. Number one, a gift is always about something beyond the gift itself. And number two, and this may sound a little counterintuitive at first, but when we are given gifts, there's a a sense of it being a, a little bit conditional. Here's what I mean. I don't mean when when you give a gift, You give a gift and you expect them to give a gift back to you or to even take that gift and to give it to somebody else. That's that's not what I mean. I don't mean we literally take that gift and and give it to somebody because it's conditional that we use it to give a gift. What I mean is that that first piece, that first piece of, of the spirit in which the gift was given is what we receive as something to give away to others. Think about it. When I give something to somebody, when I give them something, I I want to communicate to them that I like them, that I care for them, that I love them. I want them to share in joy. And and, and what is that if not the gospel of God coming to share himself with us? So when we give something, we want that person to have a sense of our investment in them, not so that we will receive something in return, but like Christ, so that they will take the investment that we've made in them and use it for the gospel. That's why why this, this book talks about guarding the good deposit here in 2 Timothy. To guard the good to deposit is to receive the faith we've been given and to use it in a way which is effective for the cause of Christ, which is to use it in a way which is in keeping with the spirit in which it was given to us. Two things are always the case about a gift. Number one, there's something beyond the gift itself that is being communicated. Number two, it comes with this sense of an investment for the sake of giving away. Now think about it here for, for a second with my bike. My parents wanted to communicate a joy for me. And, and now with my own kids, I, I love to give them gifts. Not because I think that these Legos are going to last forever. In fact, sometimes the, the, the Legos hardly last two weeks, you know. Uh, the, the toys we give them sometimes as kids don't last that long. But the part that lasts, the part that we remember, the part that we want to communicate, the part that we want to share with them is the joy they have in receiving that gift. That was the case for my, my parents with the bike. And I also even have this sense that when they were giving me something throughout my life, not just that bike, that it was something that they were giving to me out of the overflow of the expression of God given to them. That's why we call this series Fan the Flame, Friends. 
to fan the flame of the gospel in the life of another is something is something that accords with the spirit in which the gospel was given to us. In this passage here, Paul's at the end of his life. He's writing from prison. He knows that Timothy is going to carry on the work. He knows he's very limited in what he can do. And he, in essence, he writes here this sort of last will and testament, a little bit of an epitaph for his own life here in these verses. I want you to read them again with me right here. We'll jump back in in just a second, but let's look at the overflow again here. Verse 6, it says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. And sort of a personal note to Timothy that we'll talk about in a second. But here comes the epitaph. Imagine this on the tombstone of Paul. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Jump back at verse 6 here. Let's look at where we get this idea uh, that we're going to talk about today, which is the big idea that we don't keep faith by keeping faith. Now, I know that sounds a little weird. I'm talking about gift giving and keeping things and giving things away. We don't keep faith by giving faith. I'm sorry, we don't keep faith by keeping faith. We keep faith by giving it away. We keep the faith by giving it away. And that's a little counterintuitive sounding at first, but, but that's how this works with the gospel. Let's see where we get this in these verses here. Verse 6 says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. This is Paul writing to Timothy. He says, I'm already being poured out. Jump back to verse 5 in chapter 4 there, just the preceding verse. It says, As for you, this is Paul writing to Timothy, As for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist. He's saying, make sure that in the middle of an environment where lots is going on, where gossip is happening, where false teachers are trying to lead you astray, in the middle of all that, be someone who is sober-minded, who endures the suffering, who does the work. And then he finishes with this cool summary statement in verse 5. As for you, Timothy, fulfill your ministry. If you're a note taker, maybe want to highlight or, or circle that part where it says, as for you, fulfill your ministry. As for you, fulfill your ministry. As for you, fulfill your ministry. Do you know what the ministry is for you? As for you, fulfill that ministry. In the context of this book, in the context of this, this congregation where we talk about making disciple makers, the ministry to which we are all called is to make followers of Christ, to produce disciples who make disciples. That's the call. The Great Commission puts it right there in front of us in various places in the gospel. As for you, fulfill your ministry. The ministry that Paul has been fulfilling in the life of Timothy is the ministry of equipping him, of building him up, of living as a model so that he knew what ministry looked like. Is that going on for you and with somebody? I mean, let's get real. Let's get practical. Are you a Paul to a Timothy? In, in, inside, right now, Answer that. Are you a Paul for a Timothy? Are you a Timothy in need of a Paul? As for you, fulfill your ministry, and that's the ministry of making disciples. 
So he says, in the midst of all this turmoil, of this context that makes ministry hard, Timothy, fulfill your ministry. And then he says this, verse 6, about himself. He says, for I am already being poured out. He says, don't listen, don't, don't worry about me. I'm good. I've been doing this. You've watched me. I've been a model for you. For I am already being poured out. That's in the passive. God's doing this through him. That's what ministry is. God, through his work in us in the spirit, working out for others for the sake of the gospel. For I am already being poured out. And then he says, as a drink offering. There in verse 6. It's a cool phrase. Being poured out as a drink offering. Uh, that recalls the sacrifice at the temple. And Paul is an expert in, in Jewish tradition and law. He learned from Gamaliel, the Harvard of the day. He was Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew what, what he was talking about when he said, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. We know often of those sacrifices uh, of, of the animals that had to be made on the altar. But as a part of that process also, there were grain offerings, there were drink offerings. And what he's talking about is being poured out. What they would do is they would, they would take some wine and they would pour it out on the sides of the altar as an offering to the Lord, as a symbol of sacrifice. So Paul is saying, listen, Timothy, I'm already being poured out as a sacrifice. My life is already being used. You've watched me. You've seen me. 1 Corinthians 6.14 says, be imitators of me. Be imitators of me, Paul says to the church at Corinth. If you're a Paul to a Timothy... You, you, you'd better have the kind of stout relationship with God so that you're ready to say to somebody, hey, be an imitator of me. Are, are you ready to step into that? Step into that. Paul says, be an imitator of me as I imitate Christ. He's not saying... Be an imitator of everything I am because I'm perfect. (laughs) He's saying, be an imitator of me as I imitate Christ. Insofar as I live my life in a way that reflects the goodness of God, then I can be a model for somebody else. So that was his ministry to Timothy. And he gives it to us here on the pages of Scripture so that we see how that works. So Paul's been fulfilling that ministry. He's been sacrificed as a drink offering for the sake of the gospel. And he knows as he's writing from prison that his time has almost come. He says, the time of my departure has come. He's about, he's about to leave the earth. He doesn't know when, of course, but there he is in prison, probably there in a prison called Mamertine Prison in Rome. Tiny, tiny little hole. It's dark, it's dank. It's not very big at all. Under the ground, writing to Timothy with this very keen sense that if somebody doesn't pick up the mantle to give away the gospel, then faith won't be kept. Because we keep faith by giving it away. I think sometimes we think we keep faith by, by doing things to protect faith, to keep things inward, to be about security, to be about safety. We'll, we'll come back to that in a little bit later. But we actually, and that, this is what Paul has demonstrated, this is kind of what we're going with as the theme here, that you keep faith by giving it away. And not only do you keep faith, but you keep faithful. And that's what he says here in this next verse, this next verse uh, 7 here. He says it in two ways at the beginning with an athletic kind of metaphor. I have fought the good fight. 
I have finished the race. And then he summarizes by saying, I have kept the faith. I've kept the faith. Now, for Paul, keeping the faith uh, meant prison. It meant stoning. Multiple times left for dead. It, It meant standing in the public square, open to scrutiny and scorn. And preaching the gospel of Christ. It meant things like traveling in hard circumstances, sickness. He talks about being in plenty, but he also talks about being in need, not having enough food, not having enough shelter, not having the kinds of things that we very, very much take for granted here. Now listen, Paul says, I have fought that fight. I have run that race. He says, I've kept the faith. And so what he means is he's kept the faith by living a life that models Jesus in sacrificing of himself. A selflessness that is giving away the faith. And that's how faith is kept. So he says, I have kept faithful. In Acts 20, 24, a cool verse you may want to look up later, Acts 20, 24. He says, I account my life as worth nothing. I count it it as no value, nor even precious to me, my life that is, if I do not do what I was called to do. So he says, I've been doing that. Not, not, Not in a haughty way, not in a selfish and prideful kind of way, but in a way that says, Timothy, you have watched this. You know that I am legit. So when I'm telling you it's your turn to do this, it's because you know how to do this. And when you do, verse 8, there is laid up for me, in this sense, Paul, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, that's a victory crown, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I want you to get a sense of what Paul is communicating in this passage at the end of his life. He's saying to Timothy, what, what you have in Christ, what God has given you in Christ, is a gift of unequal measure. It's a gift of infinite weight and importance. And, I, and I've lived in a way that models that that gift is something that is given to you not to be kept, not to be hidden, not to be... Uh, hoarded for oneself, but to be given away. I mean, think about this, Timothy. Think about this. This was given to you so that you could have eternal life. An infinite, perfect, holy God of the universe who created you and against whom you rebelled. He came and he lived a perfect, sinless life. Think of the spirit of, of humility and selflessness and sacrifice that is involved in a perfect, infinite, sinless God of the universe coming to live a perfect life for you, Timothy. Think about that. Do you understand the weight of that? Nothing else in creation compares. So the spirit in which the gift is given to you, if you know Christ, if you love Him, if if His sacrifice for you is something you treasure deeply, then you will not just come for an hour on Sunday and speak words that, that make it sound like you love His sacrifice. 
to do that and then to walk out these doors and to live a life of selfishness throughout the week is to give the lie to your words here. So if you love Christ, if you treasure Him, if, if He is of infinite worth to you, then you know well that keeping the faith has nothing to do with keeping the faith. It has everything to do with giving away the faith. Oh sure, there is some measure of protection of the meaning of the gospel. Absolutely. Paul's been talking about some of that with Timothy, but, but, but that's in the context of the local body. Protection against wolves in sheep's clothing. You keep the faith by giving it away. Now, now here's, here's where the rubber meets the road. I think oftentimes we are delusional, honestly. I think we're delusional. When sometimes we think we are keeping the faith <coughs> when we're not really. Now think about this. I grew up in the church. Many of you did. Uh, if you're a non-believer today, uh, you're sort of off the hook today. This is kind of a believer sermon today. Um, I know many of you grew up in the church like I did, and you have this sense about certain things, like they are sacred. I mean, sacred. So I think sometimes we're deluding ourselves into thinking we're keeping the faith when we're keeping traditions alive, forms of ministry, styles of ministry. Sometimes when we're keeping those things alive, we have this feeling like, I am standing for Jesus. But, but, we sometimes are actually hindering the progress of the gospel, which is to say, you don't keep the faith by keeping the faith. You keep the faith by giving it away, by finding ways, however you must, with integrity, if you treasure Jesus, to go out those doors and find ways to communicate the gospel in your life. That doesn't mean you have to stand up here like, like someone like me. I'm not necessarily saying that's your gift, but it may be. You're... you're your practical way to go out and to communicate the gospel may be, hey, listen, I, I got a little bonus at work. And uh, I, even though I, I don't normally count that as something off of which I tithe or off of which I give to some kingdom cause, I'm going to do that this time. That's, that's kingdom-mindedness that demonstrates that your words on Sunday singing about the love of Jesus are not empty words. It may be that that person for whom you're praying. By the way, are you praying for somebody to know Jesus? You got people on your mind, on your heart? Regularly. I mean, like, do you know their names? Do you think about that? Are you aware of that? Because, because, because listen, if you're not making intentional sacrifices with your life, your time, your money, your resources, your mind, your family, if you're not intentionally taking those resources made available to you and thinking about how to give them away for the cause of Christ in a way that, that fits with and accords with it, mirrors Him giving Himself to us, then, then that gives the lie to the words that we sing and that we pray together for you. So, so if you're not thinking, who is my Timothy? Who do I know that I want to develop a relationship with so that they will know Jesus? Let me ask it this way. Who's the last person, if anyone, who knows Christ because of you? 
Who's the last person that knows Christ because of you? Is there anyone? Because here's the incontrovertible evidence about the American church. Incontrovertible evidence. We say a lot of stuff about, I love you, Jesus, kumbaya, my Lord. If that's real, if that's real, then this stat is not true. If that's a real word about your love for Christ, then the stat is not, then this stat would not be true. Nine out of ten churches in America, nine out of ten churches in America are declining or growing at a rate that is much smaller than their community's growth rate. See, both of these things can't be true. If nine out of ten churches are dying, but 100% of people are saying, I love Jesus and I will sacrifice for him when I walk out those doors, something doesn't line up. So, so what, is, what is God prompting you to do, to say, that fits with his selflessness so that you would know him? I mean, make it practical. Write it down. Think about this. Because the evil one wants every bit of an opportunity that he can have, even in this time right now, for you to say, you know what? I'm not, I'm not gifted for that. Somebody else can do that. So that you leave these doors and the conviction of the Holy Spirit is gone for you. Think practically. Who is the person for whom you are praying who doesn't know Christ? Who is the person at work who doesn't know the Lord? Because if what, we're, if what we're preaching about is true, if what we're holding as true in the Word actually is true, then it's the greatest gift that's ever been given in all of history, infinitely better than all the other gifts combined. Think about it. To have eternity with Christ by a God who is perfect, who limits Himself for us, is to say that that gift of His limitation for us is a pearl of great price and it is worth anything we can possibly do to sacrifice for him to give to think practically about what it means to serve somebody to think intentionally I don't know about you but I, I get I get I just kind of get tired. I just get tired of talking about loving people and not actually loving people. Sometimes I get, I get tired of hearing Christian stuff about we gotta, we gotta, we gotta, but, but like nobody is gotta do anything. Because what you're going to very easily do is we're going to walk out those doors and go back to lunch today and be like, hmm, Whatever. Somebody else. Talking about you. As for you, fulfill your ministry. If we care at all about the gospel of Jesus Christ and fanning the flame of the gospel in the life of another in a way that fits with, that comports with this book and what we've studied in Second Timothy and in a way that fits with what Christ did for us, then we will think and act and sacrifice. 
and the 9 out of 10 stat won't fit here. But, 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 but don't put the wool over your eyes. If the stat fits, if you're not living for the sake of somebody knowing Christ, then don't be delusional. I want us to be that one church of ten. That is growing because we love Jesus, which is to say, because we're willing, we're willing to give away the faith, to sacrifice what it costs, to go beyond our comfort zone, to have a conversation with somebody where you may feel awkward. You may not, you may not have the answers for, for, for everything. You may feel like I don't know enough Bible for this conversation. You may feel like, man, it feels so tense and weird to say something about how I love Jesus because he saved me from sin to this person who uh, may be sitting there going, what a crazy Christian weirdo. Are you willing Are you willing to learn to communicate the gospel winsomely in your own life by, by facing that kind of fear? Because if not, if not, then you love your own comfort more than the spirit in which the gift was given. Two things about a gift. Number one, it's always about something beyond the gift itself. Number two, it communicates some sort of investment that is meant to be given away, which is why for Paul, for Timothy, uh, for Timothy's grandmother and his mother, Lois and Eunice, and for us to guard the good deposit, to keep the faith, is to give it away in the manner in which it was given to us. I'm not a... Uh, sit here and close your eyes until uh, a hand is raised or uh, a, a kind of press the, press the invitation till I'm seeing somebody say something kind of guy. Uh, but I do want you to think practically and tangibly. Don't let today go by without some sort of practical, tangible way that Jesus is asking you through the Holy Spirit to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. And you know what? Verse 8 there will be laid up for you the crown of righteousness. Not so that you earn it, but so that you know that God the Father counts you as a son or daughter. And you love to sacrifice, willingly give of yourself like Christ. Let's pray.